Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Hey guys, I'm Ray Belli, and this is Words for Granted, a podcast that looks at how words change over time. If you love the show, you can become a contributor at patreon.com slash wordsforgranted. Starting at just a buck a month, which is less than what we all pay for a bad cup of coffee, you'll gain access to contributors-only bonus episodes. The latest bonus episode explores the etymology of a few American English governmental words such as president, senate, and caucus. If you contribute a little bit more, I'll even send you your own Words for Granted mug. If Patreon's not your thing but you'd still like to help keep this show on the road, you can make a one-time donation at paypal.me slash wordsforgranted. Thanks to Lynn, Philip, and Christine for their recent contributions. Before we begin, I'd like to revisit the word Yankee from last episode and share a few quick points that were brought to my attention by non-American listeners. Several listeners told me that in the UK and Ireland, Yank is a fairly common word used to refer to Americans in general, though the full word Yankee is practically unused. Its connotations range from derogatory to joking. In Japan, Yankee is the name of a rebellious youth subculture that emerged in the wake of World War II and reached its peak of popularity during the 80s and 90s. Yankees resembled American motorcycle gangs, which is why it's widely believed that Yankee is actually a borrowing of the word Yankee. I know very little about Japanese culture, let alone the Japanese language, but based on listener input and a bit of light research, this seems to be the predominant theory. This Japanese adaptation of the word Yankee, if the theory is indeed true, has very little to do with the historical sense of Yankee in America, but from the Japanese perspective, Yankee was adapted as a synonym for American. With those two things out of the way, let's get on to today's show, part six in a series on American English. Imagine a world without the word okay. Whether we're about to trade millions of dollars on the stock market or pay 25 cents for a pack of gum at the convenience store, we seal the deal with the same word. Okay. It's such a fundamental part of the way we communicate in the modern world that it's actually hard for me to imagine the world without it. And by the world, I don't only mean the English-speaking world, but literally the world. According to Alan Metcalf, author of OK, The Improbable Story of America's Greatest Word, OK is the most spoken and written word in languages across the globe, and its usage continues to grow. In less than two centuries, this two-syllable utterance, first spoken by mid-19th century Americans, has found its way into dozens upon dozens of the world's major languages. Wait, so... OK didn't exist in English before the 19th century? That is correct. As it turns out, 
Imagining a world without the word okay doesn't require going very far back in time. As of 2019, which is when this episode is being recorded, okay is a mere 180 years young, which is to say that the vast majority of the history of the English language existed before the word was born. The viral popularity and sustained success of OK in not only English but in languages around the world might have something to do with its compact versatility. For just two syllables, OK does a lot of semantic work, and for all intents and purposes, it always has. Primarily, it's a word used to express agreement, approval, or assent, but the full breadth of OK is deceptively complex. Let's think about this for a second. As an adjective, okay has several shades of meaning determined by its context. For example, it can mean permissible, as in, is it okay to do that in public? It can also mean average or mediocre, implicitly in contrast to good or great, as in, the service at that restaurant was just okay. The qualifier just before the word okay is the giveaway that we're probably talking about something mediocre. Conversely, if you use the qualifier actually before OK, then OK can mean better than expected, as in, the service at that restaurant was actually OK. Without the addition of context qualifiers or tone of voice, the precise meaning of the sentence, the service at that restaurant was OK, is indeterminable, which I find kind of interesting. OK finds use as a compliant interjection, as in, OK, I understand as a skeptical interjection, as in, okay, as a topic-shifting interjection, as in, okay, now that we've covered that, let's move on, and as an enthusiastic exclamatory interjection, as in, okay, that was great. We can also use it as either a noun and a verb implying permission, as in, she gave me the okay to carry out the deal, and she okayed the deal, respectively. There are probably even more usages than these, but these are the big ones that come to my mind. So, where did this wonder word come from? It might be hard to believe, but the most plausible answer to this question is that OK is an abbreviation of a deliberately jokey misspelling of the phrase all correct, in which all is spelled O-L-L and correct is spelled K-O-R-R-E-C-T, hence Okay. If your initial reaction is, that can't be true, you're not alone. Since the late 19th century, various commentators have proposed alternate etymologies, dissatisfied with the notion that America's most widespread contribution to languages around the world is rooted in a dumb joke. But the scholarship suggests otherwise. According to Alan Walker-Reed and Alan Metcalf, both of whom have produced extensive qualified research on the origins of OK, the all-correct theory is indisputable. I find their stance very convincing, and I'm going to use their research as the basis of today's narrative. You can decide for yourself if it seems all-correct. The story begins in Boston in the summer of 1838, when a newspaper called the Boston Morning Post began employing non-standard abbreviations for expressions and phrases. Some examples include OFM for Our First Men, NG for No Go, and RTBS for Remains to be Seen. 
At that moment in the history of American letters, non-standard abbreviations were trending, to use an anachronistic but relevant phrase. It was inevitable that these abbreviations would find their way into journalistic writing because abbreviations are a great tool for saving space if you have a restricted number of characters for your headline or your story. In the modern world, we use abbreviations on Twitter for a similar reason. If you listened to the previous episode on the word Yankee, you may recall that journalist Jim Price nicknamed the Highlanders the Yankees because the name Yankees had fewer letters and took up less space. Obviously, his nickname wound up sticking around for the long run. For an explanation of why he chose the name Yankees, check out the full episode. It's worth noting that, in general, American journalists from the mid-19th to early 20th centuries made great use of word shortenings, abbreviations, and nicknames, all of which sought to save space in print. This journalistic style of writing had a lasting impact on American English, and, by extension, standard English around the world, but that's a story for another time. By 1839, journalists in other major American cities such as New York, Philadelphia, and New Orleans began following Boston's trendy abbreviations. In addition to abbreviating phrases according to how they're actually spelled, journalists also began abbreviating words according to deliberate misspellings. Apparently, deliberate misspelling was a trend in American humor among young, educated men during the 1830s and 1840s. My immediate assumption is that this emerged as a form of mockery against less educated classes, but maybe that's just me being cynical. Who knows? Anyway, a couple of popular misspelled abbreviations that began appearing in print were KY, standing for no use, misspelled as K-N-O-W-Y-U-S-E, and O-W, standing for alright, misspelled as O-L-L-W-R-I-T-E. While popular during their time, most of these abbreviations fell out of usage pretty quickly. Except for OK. OK, which again was an abbreviation for all correct, misspelled O-L-L-K-O-R-R-E-C-T, first appeared in an article written by Charles Gordon Green for the Boston Morning Post in March 1839, a year after the abbreviation craze first began appearing in print. In its unremarkable debut to the world, OK appears at the end of a short satirical article criticizing a made-up organization called the Anti-Bell-Ringing Society. In it, Green writes, quote, The above is from the Providence Journal, the editor of which is a little too quick on the trigger on this occasion. We said not a word about our deputation passing through the city of Providence, we said our brethren were going to New York in the Richmond, and they did go, as per post of Thursday. The chairman of the Committee on Charity Lecture Bells is one of the deputation, and perhaps if he should return to Boston via Providence, he of the journal and his train band would have his contribution box, etc., okay, all correct, and cause the corks to fly, like sparks, upward. End quote. If I may say so, that's some pretty unclear writing. I don't really understand what's going on there, but it doesn't matter. What's important is that, following this article, seven more instances of OK appeared in print that year. Out of these seven, five of them lacked any explanation or reference to all correct, which seems to imply that there was a public familiarity with the term. 
But how did OK spread throughout the entire country, and then from there go on to become the most popular single word on the planet? Why didn't this happen to OW, short for alright, which basically meant the same thing and appeared in print first? Well, for one, OW doesn't roll off the tongue as easily. Furthermore, most languages, regardless of their language family, contain sounds akin to that of O and K. Although this universal ease of pronunciation helped OK spread throughout the world, that doesn't explain how it caught on in America, its country of origin, in the first place. To explain this, we have to investigate the 1840 American presidential election, strangely enough. But first, a word from our sponsor. Words for Granted is a proud member of the CLNS network, and today's episode is brought to you by Blinkist. If you're like me, you love reading nonfiction, but the list of books you'd like to read is just too long. There simply aren't enough hours in the day or days in a lifetime to read the number of books I'd like to read. Well, Blinkist has created an app to solve this very problem. Blinkist has distilled thousands of nonfiction titles down to their most essential elements, so you can read or listen to them in around 15 minutes right from your phone. You can listen to the titles on Blinkist just like you would listen to a podcast, anytime, anywhere. Blinkist is constantly curating and adding new titles from best-of lists, so you're always getting new summaries of the most powerful ideas in a made-for-mobile format. Whether you want to catch the gist of a classic like Think and Grow Rich, or a current bestseller like Fire and Fury, I'm sure Blinkist will have something for you. This time, I'd like to recommend Genius Foods, Become Smarter, Happier, and More Productive While Protecting Your Brain for Life, by Max Lugavere and Paul Greywall. In around 20 minutes, I learned a lot about how certain foods in my diet could be affecting my brain activity and what I could be eating instead in order to improve it. Right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com words to start your free 7-day trial. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. Blinkist.com words to start your free 7-day trial. Blinkist.com slash words. Okay, back to the 1840 American presidential election. The incumbent candidate was 8th President Martin Van Buren. Van Buren hailed from a town in upstate New York called Kinderhook, and at this point in his life, at age 58, he had acquired the nickname Old Kinderhook. You know where this is going. If you abbreviate Old Kinderhook, you get OK and this abbreviation became a major part of Van Buren's re-election campaign. Van Buren's supporters, who called themselves the OK Club, deliberately seized upon the abbreviation's increasing popularity and in turn made the abbreviation even more popular. This campaign subliminally branded Old Kinderhook as All Correct, which was probably the point. OK was OK. Although Van Buren didn't win the election, he and his supporters did bring national awareness to the fad abbreviation OK. During the campaign season, supporters of William Henry Harrison, Van Buren's political opponent, turned OK against Van Buren. They refashioned the letters in OK to stand for things such as out of cash, that's cash with a K, and awful calamity, that's awful with an O and calamity with a K, keeping the trendy misspellings going here. Then, the anti-Van Buren journalist James Gordon Bennett Sr. published an article in the New York Morning Herald falsely claiming that 
Van Buren picked up OK from Andrew Jackson, his presidential predecessor and fellow Democrat. Unlike the American presidents before him, Jackson was a poorly educated self-made frontiersman, and as a consequence, he had a reputation for bad spelling. According to Bennett's article, Jackson signed off on governmental papers with the abbreviation OK because he believed All Correct was spelled O-L-E-K-O-R-R-E-K. By publicizing Van Buren's perpetuation of Jackson's uneducated misspelling, Bennett sought to portray the Democratic Party as a bunch of dummies, and the myth he created was widely circulated and believed. The fabricated story that traces OK back to Andrew Jackson's bad spelling is interesting because it acknowledges the correct etymology of the word, but attributes it to the wrong person, which completely changes its implications. The fact that the story gained traction seems to indicate that even though OK had increased in popular usage during this decade, the average person didn't necessarily know where the word came from, and therefore they could be duped regarding its origin. On the other hand, James Gordon Bennett certainly would have known the origins of the word since it was produced by urban journalism, and he himself was an urban journalist. Simultaneously aware of his readership's ignorance and his position of power, Bennett was able to concoct a fake story to promote his own political agenda. I might as well take this moment to mention another etymological theory of OK that falsely drags Andrew Jackson into the picture. The Choctaw tribes, once native to the state of Louisiana and its surrounding regions, had a phrase, Sihoka, which meant, that's me, or that's what I said. 20th century politician William Murray proposed that Andrew Jackson first adapted the phrase from Choctaws, who fought under his leadership during the 1812 Battle of Horseshoe Bend. Jackson began using OK, the anglicized version of Sihoka, which then spread in popularity during his presidency. However, this story lacks any convincing evidence. Another theory derives OK from the Choctaw word OK, which means it is or it is so. This also lacks any convincing evidence aside from a coincidentally similar pronunciation. After Martin Van Buren's failed re-election campaign, OK had fully become part of the American lexicon, but at this stage, it was still very much a slang word. In writing, it was reserved for illiterate or uneducated fictional characters and business documents that needed a quick sign-off for approval. Slang words, though popular in their day, tend to change from generation to generation. So how did OK manage to stick around? Well, by another matter of coincidence, the electrical telegraph, which was invented in 1844, began to rise in popularity in the 1850s, and the initials OK became a popular way of conveying agreement, assent, reassurance, and so on. This helped prolong the relevance of a generational slang word all the way through the turn of the 20th century. At this point, two generations removed from the birth of OK, the average person had forgotten what the abbreviation stood for, if they ever knew in the first place, and the word had lost its jokey connotation. OK had become sober and neutral. It had graduated from its former status as a slang word to a crucial part of English communication. Beginning in the 1920s, people began shortening OK to oak and K, the latter of which is still in use today, particularly in digital communications such as text messaging. 
Okie Dokie and Okie Doke first appear in the 1920s as well, reviving some of the lightheartedness associated with the original usage of OK. As a result of the word's development and popularity during this period, many language groups in America tried claiming the origins of OK as their own. Naturally, this produced dozens upon dozens of false etymologies. It was also crucial to spreading OK into non-English languages and bolstering its general popularity even further. Here's a language-by-language language greatest hits summary of some of the etymologies proposed during this period, from as early as the 1880s through the 1960s. The easiest way for me to do this is to just state them one after another as declarative sentences, but remember that I'm not actually promoting any of these as true. So here we go. Just ignore my American accent. OK is an abbreviation of the German ohne Korrektor, meaning without correction, or the German Oberkommando, meaning high command. OK is an abbreviation of the Greek Olakala, meaning everything is fine or well. Side note, the Greek alphabet is different from the Roman alphabet used in English, so this would have derived from an anglicized spelling. Another Greek etymology derives the word from ok ok, a superstitious Greek chant used to drive away flies. OK derives from the French aquai, meaning to the docks or to the harbor. Thanks to sea trade activity, in Haitian Creole, the phrase aquai actually developed a meaning similar to that of OK. Another French theory derives OK from aoui, an emphatic way of saying yes. OK derives from the Scots phrase ok ais, meaning ah yes. OK derives from the Finnish okia, meaning correct. OK is an abbreviation of the Latin omnis correcta, meaning all correct. Now, let's throw in a handful of alternative English etymologies. OK represents the initials Orrin Kendall, a biscuit maker during the Revolutionary War. OK derives from zero killed, a wartime phrase. OK is a reversal of the abbreviation KO, which means knockout. There are plenty more of these, but I think you get the idea. Some of these theories make more sense with a bit more exposition, but even with that exposition, they don't make much more sense, so I'm just going to leave the details out. If the deliberate misspelling of all correct is indeed the correct etymology of OK, as lexicographer Alan Walker-Reed painstakingly argued back in the 1960s, it's truly an amazing story. It's a testament to the cliché of being in the right place at the right time, except we're not talking about the rags-to-riches success of a performer or a politician here, but the rags-to-riches success of a word, arguably the most successful word of all time. Okay. If you love the show, again, I'd like to remind you that you can sign up to support the show on Patreon. If that's not in your budget, you can still leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast directory of choice. Those ratings and reviews really help the show grow, and they give me feedback about what I can do to make the show better. I'm on Twitter at Words for Granted and Facebook as Words for Granted, and you can email me directly with questions, comments, and concerns at wordsforgranted at gmail.com. Have a great day. I'll catch you next time here at Words for Granted.
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.